This episode of Dim the Lights contains spoilers for The French Dispatch, Asteroid City, and Isle of Dogs. Listeners, be aware. Please find your seats, silence your phones, enjoy the movie. Hello everyone, welcome to Dim the Lights with ENT, the podcast where we have casual conversations about movies, what we like, what we didn't like, and kind of everything in between. I'm your co-host Tegan Rule. And I'm your other co-host Ethan Morrison. And welcome to our pilot episode. We're so excited to be here and we're so excited that you're tuning in. So to start, let's introduce ourselves. Does that sound good to you? Perfect. All right. So my name is Tegan Rule. I'm a double major in journalism and English and I have two minors in radio and television and literature. And I go to the University of Southern Indiana, or USI. This is my third year here, first time working as the podcast manager for 95.7 The Spin. First year at The Spin, as a matter of fact. And my goal is to one day be a professional screenwriter and make professional, like, actual movies. And my top four favorite movies, in no particular order, are The Shawshank Redemption, Robocop, Napoleon Dynamite, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. My name's uh, Ethan Morrison. I'm a college freshman, I'm majoring in journalism, and this is my first ever time at a podcast or doing any form of journalism. So uh, I guess you can just call me 007. Zero journalism experience, zero podcasting experience, seven wings a week. So let's get into our first episode. So Ethan, why don't you explain what we plan to do with this podcast? Our plan for this podcast isn't necessarily to review the most popular movie at the moment. Our plan for this podcast is more to be a casual conversation between us two about movies we're generally more interested in. Like, today's subject uh, isn't a movie that recently came out. It's more of a group of movies from a director we really like called Wes Anderson. So don't expect a lot of, like, super objective or, like, constantly, like, on-the-track stuff like what I just Mm -hmm. did there. Yeah. (laughs) It's just going to be like a very casual conversation about movies, just like what we like about movies, what we don't like about movies, what movies are fitted for specific people groups, you know, all that types of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We might go into some uh, thematic stuff and who knows, we might have some philosophical discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, sometimes we might talk about weed or a few things. So, you mentioned earlier we are going to be talking about Wes Anderson movies today. What movies are we going to talk about today? Well, I think the first movie we're going to watch, because that's the last movie I watched, called Isle of Dogs. It's about, it takes place in alternate reality Japan, where a corrupt mayor decides to ban all dogs from the city and dump them on a garbage island because of a supposed outbreak of dog flu and it's about his a distant nephew going to that island to save his dog very feels like a dramatic story but it's kind of heartwarming and then our we're going to talk about two more movies a little bit one of them is going to be the french dispatch which came out a couple years ago and then his recent movie asteroid city yeah so uh i have my notes for i love dogs here so i think we'll probably talk about that. All right. So what do you want to talk about first with Isle of Dogs? Well, let's get the best thing out of it out of the way. The animation is absolutely amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Like, like despite it being in stop motion where motions will tend to be less fluid, I think it actually, like, really nails the subtle movements of the dogs. Yeah. Like, yeah, it might not be as free-flowing as, like, actual dogs, but the sort of like standstill you can see in sort of them and still 
You still get us some motion in them. Yeah. One thing I really like about Wes Anderson's stop motion movies, and this goes for both Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox, is that it's like the way he animates his characters suits his style very well. Of like very, I would describe it as kind of like stiff, but like. It's like they're in a dollhouse, kind of. That's how I always, like, watch Wes Anderson movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, yeah, like, Wes Anderson's style is like someone taking a picture of their dollhouse. Yeah. And I think that really works with, like, this movie and how it, like, incorporates stuff of, like, Japanese culture into it. Mm -hmm. Like, every time you see a landscape in the movie, it's never, like, at a 45-degree angle or, like, 15-degree angle. It's always, like, at, like, a straight or, like, 90-degree. Yeah. Which really works. And I think an obvious reference it's going for is to Kabuki Theater. Yeah. Because usually in theater, there is no camera that can move around. So I think he can, like, really nails that with his animation style and, like, his general directorial style. That's, it always, every time I see the scenery in one of his stop motion animation movies, it's like he's just put like a poster up or something, or like he's built like a tiny little model, and like it's a dollhouse basically, like that's the image in my mind, really. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) a really, really, really detailed and beautiful dollhouse. Absolutely, yeah. So what else do we like about Isle of Dogs? For one, I think the plot is very compelling in a way it's weird like when i first saw it in theaters like five years ago i think i thought this was really weird and i was like why would somebody make a movie about dogs on an island and they're like just stranded kind of you know what i mean yeah (laughs) to be honest i didn't mind that part of the movie because i went in knowing that it's a wes anderson movie so it's gonna be weird but i actually found the Plot is surprisingly topical. Like, the movie, like, deals with themes of, like... Okay, this is going to sound really pretentious for a new show. (laughs) But it surprisingly had a really good allegory for fascism in it. Can you explain that a little more? Like, because when I watch it, I don't... Well, I guess I kind of understand the fascism, but go deeper into that, please. Okay, so what I think the movie was going for was... The dogs are sort of an allegory for minority groups scapegoated by, like, majorities... Because, like, the entire movie, like, the only reason the people who are doing it are, like, constantly using scapegoating tactics. And there's literally a scene where they're about to gas the dogs, so... That's true. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I forgot forgot about that. Yeah, but also, I don't think it's accidental or or purposelessness, since the movie is in Japan... Which, if you know anything about Japanese history, definitely has a big history of fascism in it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was definitely an intention on Anderson's part of it. I mean, wow. That kind of blew my mind. I never thought about fascism in a Wes Anderson movie. But I guess Wes Anderson movies can be really whatever they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I really, really want to talk about, and we kind of touched on it earlier, but just like the art style in general of this movie is gorgeous. Like every single character is crafted really well, especially the dogs. And I would say Chief is one that really sticks out in my mind from like at the beginning, he was very scrappy and like beat up and torn down. And then towards the end of it, he was just this clean, like clean white dog. And 
I don't know. Just that character transformation is really cool. And that's, like, all the characters are my favorite part about I Love Dogs, I would say. Oh, yeah. I especially liked when the other five members of the dogs were, like, just gossiping with each other. Yeah. And that's kind of a thing with, like, Wes Anderson is that he's kind of like Quentin Tarantino in a way. Mm-hmm. Where he just, like, is also a nerd, so, like, puts all, like, these things in his movies that also develops the world building of it. Yeah. Like, this movie has, like, obsec- like ex- exceptional world building. Mm-hmm. E- excuse me on all those. <laughs> For sure. And then, just to, like, piggyback off the art style, the trash in this movie is great. Oh, yeah. I love the trash. Like, one, the scene at the beginning where the dogs are fighting over the bag of trash and they, like, rip it open and there's, like, the little maggots that are, like, running around and they're, like, that's, I think that's the scene that sticks out to me when I think about it because it's just, like, it's trash. Like, you don't even have to do anything, but the fact that they put that much detail into it, it's great. Oh, yeah, this also goes to another part of the movie uh, where uh, a character off screen is making uh, sushi. Mm -hmm. And it's like this like super like detailed and super well animated sequence. Like you get all these like subtle motions and all these like quick back and forth stuff. It's like so great. I think I like this more than some of Wes Anderson's other movies because despite all the characters being animated... I felt like it had probably one of the best emotional cores out of all the movies I've seen from him. Mm-hmm. Like, especially with uh, Atari, Spots, and Chief. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that. For me, Isle of Dogs is good, but it's a little lower on the totem pole for my Wes Anderson list. And then again, I haven't, like, seen all his movies, so I couldn't say that for all of them. But, like, I would rank this as probably, like, four on my list honestly of Wes Anderson movies because it's good but like I feel like it could have been a little better in some way yeah out of I think probably Grand Budapest of the movies I've seen is definitely better Mm -hmm. but I think I'll probably have more of a soft spot for Isle of Dogs in the long term than Budapest yeah for sure all right uh but on some uh criticism of criticisms of it yeah uh I didn't really care for Nutmeg. You didn't really care? She didn't really contribute much, I don't think. Yes, but I kind of felt like uh, her and Chief's relationship was a little forced in there, I think. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, uh, especially with uh, the Afro girl. Yeah. I Did she have a name? Uh, I, I think so, but I forgot since I didn't really like her part of it yeah it just kind of felt like an obvious like shoo-in for like activist people which i think was like perfectly fine with the other kids and i think would have been and honestly i would have preferred if she was just another like japanese character instead of uh like an american exchange didn't yeah because she also did kind of feel like a character west put in there because he felt like he needed a human character for the people to relate to, but Atari's already there. Yeah, I agree with that. Her name is Tracy Walker, just to clarify. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Tracy Walker. Tra- yeah. More like Tracy walk out of this movie. Oh, got her. But, yeah, I agree with that. It just, like, 
The subtle, like, English characters, like, the translator that was in the movie, that, like, I get that because, like, it's she's a translator. But having an American character in, like, a movie that's primarily, like, set in Japan and is Japanese pretty much, it kind of feels out of place. Yeah, and I feel like, and since every character is in Japanese except for the dogs, like, that aspect of the movie is meant to, like, put you in the shoes of the dogs. Yeah. Even at the beginning of the movie, it's, like, the captions said that the dogs, like, the dogs speaking were translated into English at the beginning, which I thought was really clever, honestly. Yeah, 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 I should probably find a way to get around to watching, like, a Japanese dub of this movie. Yeah, (laughs) that'd be interesting. Yeah. I really loved the facial expressions of, like, all the characters, specifically the dogs. Like... The way they're able to subtly convey emotions without, like, their faces really moving, just with, like, their eyes. Yeah. I felt was, like, a super strong attribute of it. Yeah. And it's something I don't see in a lot of other Wes Anderson movies, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, even in, like, his live-action stuff, like the other two movies we're going to talk about soon, like French Dispatch and Asteroid City, like... I didn't feel the same emotion when I saw the characters up close as I did with this movie. Yeah, I agree with that. And I kind of feel the same way about Isle of Dogs and um, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, or Fantastic Mr. Fox. Even though I do think they showed more facial expression in Fantastic Mr. Fox, like, I don't know. Having animals show facial expressions, like, I know not all the characters were animals, but having the dogs try to show facial expressions, like, you can't make them look like they're human people. So I think that was definitely a challenge, and I think it was well done. So Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we both really recommend this movie. Yeah. What would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say? That's uh, uh, probably like around a 7 or 8. Yeah, I'd say it's about a 7.5 for me. It's pretty good. Yeah. But not exceptional. But, you know, whatever. Anyways, let's get into our next two-ish movies, The French Dispatch and Asteroid City. French Dispatch is better. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, okay, so I've only seen Asteroid City once, and I feel like I need to watch it again to really, like, grasp it a little better. Yeah, yeah, to be honest, uh, uh, this was partially my fault because uh, when I saw Asteroid City in the theater midway through, I had to use the bathroom, like, super bad, so I missed, like, ten minutes of it. So I, I, I really, so I'd probably need to rewatch it again. Yeah, but even, like, the parts that you did watch, like, even the parts that I, like, you did watch, what did you think about it, like? Uh, I really liked the, the contrast between the two narratives in the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the plot of Asteroid City is basically... It's a bunch of people putting on a play that's being televised and radiovised, you could say. And for most of the movie, we're seeing the play being, like, acted through diegetically. And we get occasional uh, sort of flashback scenes to, to, like, outside of the play to explain, like, what the actors are doing or, like, how certain characters got involved in it. Mm-hmm. Did it explicitly say that the play was radio, like, televised, I mean? 
Yeah, I think it was probably radio-vised because radio the movie's clearly meanting to be about the 50s, and I don't think a lot of stuff was doing that back then. That's true. That's interesting because, like, I thought, I thought Asteroid City was about basically – well, it's about a play, obviously, but I thought, like, the black and white scenes was, like, a documentary explaining, like, how the play was formed. Kind of like – you know Tick, Tick, Boom, right? How it's uh, – have you seen that movie? Uh, I I need to give up my my cinephile card. <laughs> well, kind of to not to get sidetracked, but Tick Tick Boom, it was a kind of like a biography, like a drama documentary about um, the creator of the musical Rent's life, and that's kind of how I thought Asteroid City was in the creator of like the writer of Asteroid City's life and what inspired him to make the play and what was going on in his life kind of as it went on and then it would show us the play as it was happening yeah like it felt yeah that was my perception of asteroid city (laughs) yeah definitely Mm -hmm. but i really i thought the plot was good but like i thought i liked the two storylines of narration inside of narration but i thought the play itself of asteroid city was kind of i didn't really know the meaning of it by the end of it i was kind of like this is a little out it felt out of place to me in some way okay this is gonna sound like a another kind of pretentious take but i can kind of see a sort of like quarantine like inspiration anderson might have gotten from it like when a uh, when Schwartzman's character, uh, you know his name? Um, is he the main guy in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who was bringing his kids to Asteroid City to, like, bury his, like, dead wife. Yeah. His character, Augie, and Scarlett Johansson's character, uh, Midge. Uh, like, through, like, most of the movie, uh, Augie plays uh, a photographer, and Johansson plays a... Uh, a theater actress and during portions of the movie they kind of talk to each other like when they're in respective houses Johansson kind of acts as like Schwartzman's muse I guess mm-hmm. where he like takes pictures of her and a thing that Augie really likes in his pictures is in moment stuff mm-hmm. is what I've noticed yeah. is he prefers when his stuff is actually happens instead of like being set up which is something i like kind of relate to when i do photography where i prefer it to look as natural as possible yeah and it makes sense to his character too because he's a war photographer so obviously he like wants it you can't stage a war photo really like there are i think there are staged war photos but like it's all like in the moment sort of thing so i think that's really well done for his character yeah well you can't have staged uh, war photos because that's a journalistic dishonesty yeah that's right learn your journalism ethics everybody i thought the alien was kind of wacky like when he showed up oh oh yeah uh, the okay okay here's spoilers guys (laughs) okay so the alien the character who plays the alien is uh goldblum yeah i think it is jeff goldblum yeah yeah jeff goldblum yeah i remember the character jeff goldblum plays plays the alien and the alien is done in stop motion. And that's the thing I've noticed with Anderson's, like, post uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox stuff is that 
he just got a lot more like cartoony with his stuff. Yeah. Like if you compare some of his stuff like Moonrise Kingdom and uh I think Darjeeling Limited. Like a lot of that stuff is a lot more grounded compared to his more recent stuff like Dispatch and this movie. When Jeff Goldblum's character came on, like when we first saw the alien, it threw me off because I thought it was stop motion, but it, like it just didn't blend in with the rest of like what was going on. And I was just like, what the heck is happening at this point? But then you see Jeff Goldblum in his alien costume later when they're like talking, when they're going for that monologue, I think, towards the end of the movie. And that made me kind of rethink it, because, like, I forgot for a moment that this is a play that we're watching. And then, like, and I kind of like that sort of aspect, because, like, when you see the alien spaceship and then it goes back to the flashbacks that were happening, you could see, um, I think it was either the writer or one of the directors, I don't remember, I think it's Adrian Brody's character, he's, like, holding the spaceship in his hands, and that, like, takes, it takes me out of the movie, but also makes me appreciate, like, the amount of detail and thought that's being put into it, too. Oh, yeah, like Wes Anderson. If you don't like his movies, you at least have to respect the amount of effort and detail he puts into, like, everything he does. Oh, yeah. Everything's, like, very, very intentional, which I like about it. Yeah. His movies, for sure. Unlike uh, Isle of Dogs, which I think I can kind of tell the message of it, I feel like this one is more of, like, meant to be a love letter to 50s theater plays and like 50s era like nostalgia yeah i can i can understand that because like french dispatch was kind of like a love letter to journalism in a way yeah and like yeah i can see that because i by the end of asteroid city i was totally confused about what the whole like movie was about so i had to like go like deep dive on google just to figure something out and one of the google searches i found was that it's about like death and mourning since um Augie was mourning his wife the whole time while they were there. And I think I put together somehow that characters were also, like, everybody was kind of mourning in a way, but, like, I really couldn't explain that to you now, but it kind of made sense, but it didn't really, like, I don't know, I couldn't really buy that theme very well throughout the whole movie. Really, I think that only applies to Augie's character and maybe Midge. Like, there was, like, something where she... Where her character's character in the movie, like, like had a play go wrong or something. So she's trying to, like, bounce back from it. But yeah. I haven't seen it since June, so... What, like, wasn't working for us in Asteroid City? And, like, what did we just not like about it? Like, I just thought, like, the Prodigy kids were just kind of okay-ish. Like, when they were playing, like, this game where they had to, like, name off a bunch of, like, famous people. Mm-hmm. It just kind of... I guess I'm not big brain enough. So, I just kind of, like, lost interest in it. Yeah. I felt kind of the same way. Like, I don't know. They just kind of felt there. Like, I feel like when I... I feel like I forget that that's why they went to Asteroid City in the first place. Because Augie's kid, like, won this scholarship in science for inventing something. I couldn't even tell you what it was, but... Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he... I think his invention was that he was able to... That he was able to project stuff onto the moon... Yeah, I think that's what it was, but, like, I don't know. I just, I wasn't that into it either. Like, the Project Kids were there, but I don't, they didn't really do anything for me either. So I understand that. <laughs> yeah, but but I did kind of like the uh, the band that was in the background. 
that they they were kind of neat, and the teacher and and the kids where yeah. she was trying to like deal with all that stuff. Yeah, I think she was really good comedic relief in that role. It's oh gosh, I can't remember her name, but she was definitely in Stranger Things. She played Robin. I just thought she was comedic relief, having like being a teacher, and then like they were like. Well, we might die because of this alien. We don't know. And then, like, trying to teach kids about, like, Jupiter, and they're always asking questions about the alien. I think that she did a really good job in that role. Oh, yeah. Now that I think about the movie more, I'm actually more buying the kind of quarantine aspect of it. Yeah. Because they were literally quarantined. And, like, the scenes where she has to talk to the kids about and explain, like, really complex subjects Mm -hmm. like does kind of remind me of like COVID era like information where you like had to constantly explain like these complex subjects to people all the time yeah especially like beginning of the pandemic stuff where like nobody really knew what was going on like you didn't know anything about COVID and like especially like school teachers at the time having to like explain like do you remember the day that schools closed down for covid uh uh yeah i I remember i I was in gym class and it was like i heard it over the speakers in the middle of jogging and i was like so happy since oh we're gonna get an early break yeah this is only gonna last a week yeah that's how i was too i remember sitting in biology class and I was like, and our teacher was like, well, you get two weeks of spring break and then like, you know, probably see you in two weeks. I don't know. And I was like, sweet. Bye, guys. And I didn't go back for the rest of the semester. <laughs> <laughs> back to Asteroid City. I do like the idea of quarantine in the play because like when it didn't feel like COVID quarantine necessarily, but it was still there. And just like the restrictions that the people were under and like the distress and stuff happening, it did it did kind of allude to the pandemic in a way, I think. Yeah, it's just in a, instead of a, a virus, it was a, a Jeff Goldblum alien. Absolutely. Gosh dang, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Why did you, you have to destroy the economy for two years? Why? I thought Tom Hanks was neat. Yeah, I thought Tom Hanks did a good job, honestly, playing, like, the angry father-in-law. I liked it. Um, yeah. I guess that's about all I have to say. I just liked him in that role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, I like anything Brian Cranston's in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he was the narrator. And he was also a chief in Isle of Dogs. Yeah, the main character. Yeah. He's, he's just got, he's got the voice for chief in Isle of Dogs, like the grittiness. Yeah. I like that a lot. And then he's like, he was like a very professional narrator in Asteroid City. Yeah. Which worked a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like, Brian Cranston's probably, like, my top ten favorite, like, voices. So what would we rate this movie on a scale of one to ten? Six or seven. Six or seven. That's fair. I'd give it a seven. It's not not terrible. Not the greatest, though. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, I'd probably give it, like, a 6.5, and I Love Dogs probably an eight, now that I think about it more. Okay, that's fair. Now in the movie that... I haven't seen in the longest while, French Dispatch. Okay, I'm going to say this right now. French Dispatch is the most beautiful movie I've ever seen in my life. Really? Yes. Why? Explain Explain your reasoning. Like, this is absolutely, like, peak symmetry and how everything's structured and the way he uses colors alongside the black and white. 
how like everything is it's like unique color palettes mm -hmm. and the way he uses like various like frame ratios i think yeah how he uses those and like just how like crisp everything is yeah like if you were able to see this in the theater uh you should have yeah it, it was like amazing a thing that was kind of neat that could have just been a problem with my theater was before the first story when i was like going over the history of of the newspaper mm -hmm. uh the lights weren't were still on but they turned off when the uh actual stories began which i don't know if that was just my theater messing up or if that was a thing like the studio told theaters to purposely do mm -hmm. which if they did that that's just like amazing yeah so to kind of give a quick plot summary of the French Dispatch, it's basically about this... Is it a newspaper or a magazine? It's a newspaper because I think it takes place before War World War Two. I think. That would make sense. Anyways, basically, it's a, it's a love letter to journalism. And the editor-in-chief of this newspaper passes away. And all of the reporters, writers, editors, everybody's just making this last issue of this paper. And it's kind of like it's kind of like their top stories that they've ever published. And they just combine it into one paper. And the whole movie is just all about those stories. And there's three main stories. And then there's some little side bits here and there. But that's pretty much what the French Dispatch is about. And the stories that they published are told in black and white while the president is in color, which I really liked a lot in the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, it wasn't like their best stories. It was like the stories that were in their last issue of the paper. Ah, uh, okay. So, My bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, get your facts straight about a two-year-old movie. <laughs> Anyways, I was partially right. That's all that matters. Yeah. But I really, okay. Talking about things that we liked, I really liked color in this movie. I think it was amazing. One of the when I think about color in the French Dispatch, I think of Tilda Swinton's hair and like her like outfit she had for her character, because like I don't know, I've just never seen Tilda Swinton like that in a Wes Anderson movie. I don't think before, and I don't know. I just the vibrant colors were really really working for me. I would say. Oh yeah. And I think a part that helped, like, bring out those vibrantness is since, like, most of the movies in black and white, when you do get that color, it just pops so much more. Oh, yeah. It's great. I love it. I love that. I also love the parts when the black and white stories are being told, but then there's one scene in each of the stories where it goes, it goes to color. And I think that really, like, to emphasize, like, the big points it was trying to make. Yeah, like, one, like, in the story about the psychopathic painter, mm -hmm. like, when it, like, shows his, like, magnum opus, it, like, goes into color for, like, a few seconds, mm -hmm. and then, like, immediately goes back into white. Yeah, which I like that. I like that a lot, because the whole thing was about, like, his paintings and, like, how he was an amazing artist, and to see it for, like, one second as it truly was in the story it was great i loved it yeah so so i guess we can go over the individual stories we uh, can hit on them real quick yeah yeah so the first story uh it basically talks about the career of a a painter who's a murderer and while he's in jail he starts painting and like making these like masterpieces that this uh 
that this art dealer decides to pick up mm -hmm. because he thinks it'll like revolutionize art mm -hmm. and like over the course of the movie he like gets this this prison guard female to like kind of be his muse and she kind of ends up like taking all the revenue from him so kind of yeah yeah, mm -hmm. and I think in that story, it kind of it kind of felt like a satire on the art world. Like I think in the first two stories, it kind of like satirizes like how we kind of view artists or like how we view like famous people. Like and the and like in the next story, it's about like this life of like a teenage kid who he's uh, like rebelling against the is it the local government uh it, it, i think it's a rebellion against the school because they don't allow oh yeah because they don't allow boys in the female dorms <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, I thought he was well like the scenes in there when they were like having the chess match it felt like well well yeah almost. well yeah 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 i yeah, I think that's the joke because because yeah. I think it was making fun of like glorify like people like Kurt Cobain and I, I guess a bit of shake with wire since there was a bit of rebellion aspect of it and kind of just making him like this dumb loser kid mm -hmm. was like a little funny. Yeah, because those are like the exact type of people who like glorify types like that. Yeah. No, uh, Timothy Chalamet's character would definitely be that guy. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I totally see it. But no, I think that's the one I remember the most from the movie. The whole manifesto thing, how he was trying to make a manifesto. I thought that was so, like, dumb, but it totally would happen. <laughs> and, and, and how basically his manifesto was written by uh, Francis McDormand's character. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love Francis McDormand. Oh. I watched um, Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri recently, and she's the main character in it. That that movie's great. It's She did a great job. I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you see a Banshee's in and a Sharon? I have not. Uh, it's from the same writer and director. Oh. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, may maybe we'll make an episode about it. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'd like that. But yeah, I love Frances McDormand's character. She, in what I've seen of her in Wes Anderson movies, because she was in um, French Dispatch and Moonrise Kingdom. She played the mom of the daughter that ran away in Moonrise Kingdom. And I just like her face. Like, I just like her face in general. And I think it suits, like, all the characters she plays really, really well. Yeah. Just, like, this, like, tired, like, aged woman who's just, like trying to get her way in life but there's always something there yeah and it's just like just fed up with everyone's crap yeah <laughs> she and like i told when i was watching um three billboards outside ebbing missouri i like it clicked in my head that she was in the french dispatch and i was like oh my gosh it's that one girl i like <laughs> yeah 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 you know that uh leonardo dicaprio meme from once upon a time in hollywood yeah where it's like he's pointing at the screen that yeah, was like, me that was yeah. me. <laughs> I love her character. She does a great job in that movie, especially of being, like, the very serious journalist. And she writes on serious topics, like teenagers rebelling that they can't be in girls' dormitories. Yeah, so, that, that's right. Yeah. All right. Okay, time to talk about the, the final story. Uh, it's about a guy who has a form of photographic memory, but instead of, like, remembering everything he sees perfectly... Uh, he remembers words perfectly. Mm -hmm. So he can pretty much list off like an entire dictionary perfectly. And his story is about, it's about him technically meant to do a food review, but it ends up turning into 
like a kidnapping, basically. Yeah, basically like the like the police chief's kid gets kidnapped by like a bunch of terrorists, I think. Mm-hmm. And like the entire rest of the movie is like them trying to save him. And they and they save him by food, which is the fun part about oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and there's also like this like and it like ends with like this 2D animation sequence. Yeah, that's that's the part I remember about that story the most cuz like I really like I don't remember the plot very much, but I remember the 2D animation like car chase sequence cuz I thought it was really random. Uh but but I loved it since it was mm-hmm. clearly an homage to European comics like yeah. Tintin. That 2D animation was also in uh Isle of Dogs. Like it was it was like oh, on the Yeah, because like Oh shoot! It was kind of like transitional, but not really. Uh, it, it it was, it was in all of the TVs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. I I would I would love if Wes Anderson would do a, a full two D animated movie. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, like, like if you see what he's done with his two D stuff, imagine if there's like no physical limits to it, what he could do. I bet he'd make a really wacky. 2d movie yeah just like even the little snippets we see it's like it's like it's weird because like the car chase i feel it doesn't don't they like explode or something at some point i might be imagining that, uh I, I i know they uh send uh send uh, like a, a strong man through a cannon at one point yeah that's what it was because he's like jumps on the back of their car oh wow yeah like yeah. i think it'd be crazy well i really remember the part where the kid's dad and the kid like finally like get back up in the 2d segment and mm-hmm. i don't know if this is just a thing with wes anderson and his animated stuff but it's for some reason he always puts the most emotional stuff in those segments yeah instead of in like the live action stuff mm-hmm. like, i don't know if that's like meant to be symbolic or or he just does not know how to <laughs> How to direct, like, emotion, like, real-life people. Yeah. That's a good question. Maybe it's, like, symbolic in some way. Like, we can't show our real emotion. Like, it has to be, like, hidden or, like, animated in some way. You, you kind of catch my drift. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, honestly, the best acting in any of his movies I've seen was, was like, the porcelain dolls in Isle of Dogs. Was there anything in French Dispatch that you really didn't like or that, like, just didn't work for you? Honestly, not a lot. I actually thought it was probably one of, at least one of, like, Wes Anderson's better movies. I can agree with that. Off the top of my head, like, nothing really sticks out that I didn't like about it, I don't think. I don't know. I don't really have any critiques about this one. Yeah, I, I think probably, I think it's probably the most solid of the three movies we've talked about. Yeah, I agree with that. And, like, it's weird because it's one of his, like, lower-rated movies as far as I know. Like, like maybe that's because, like, like I, I can tell he's he's gotten, like, super self-indulgent over his past few movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, maybe people are just kind of, like, getting sick of him being, like, so weird now. But I feel like he was always weird. Yeah, yeah, I I just love when he like just goes like, just goes bonkers like in I Love Dogs or French Dispatch. Yeah, one thing. Shout out to Owen Wilson in the French Dispatch in the opening scene where he's like the traveling writer. He rode a bicycle and he was a journalist, and like I just like that opening sequence of like 
him describing the little French town as he's riding through it, I think that was a nice opening to me, especially since that was like the first couple opening pages of their last issue that they made. Yeah. And I also liked, um, so Bill Murray was the editor-in-chief that died. So he wasn't in the movie a whole lot, but when they had like flashbacks of him, he was there, obviously. And I like how at the, I don't know if, I can't remember if he did it at the end of every single story, but for, I remember when they stopped explaining, or like stopped telling the black and white stories, that it would show the writer in the office with him, and they'd be like, so what do you think? And he'd be like, it sucks, or something like that. <laughs> and then he'd be like, do better. That that That's going to be you after this podcast. <laughs> do better. I mean, it's a pilot episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do like Wes Anderson's, like, really, like, dry humor. I like it, too. I think it's, the flatness goes with, like, it feels like it goes with the rest of the scene. He's, like, setting up and, like, his characters and just how he directs in general. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and yeah, we m- we might be going back to yeah yeah. Sorry for going back to Dialogue Box for a <laughs> second, but more, probably one of my other favorite parts of that movie was the super percuss- percussive soundtrack in that one. Yes, I do like the soundtrack in I Love Dogs. Um, the song when um when they're like walking around. Yeah, with Atari and Chief. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, like, downloaded that song after that movie because I was like, I love that so much. Like, the soundtrack really, I think that really made the movie a lot better for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think Isle of Dogs definitely has the the best soundtrack to all of the movies we've discussed. Mm -hmm. Like, especially in, like, the beginning where we see uh, all those kids playing the drums. Mm -hmm. That that was amazing. I like that. It It really set the mood of, like, we're in Japan. Yeah. Like, obviously. But, yeah, I love the soundtrack in I Love Dogs. I think, yeah, I don't really think about the soundtrack too much in Wes Anderson's other movies other than Fantastic Mr. Fox because they had the song they made about the three farmers, and that's just the one they had in the background the whole time. Yeah. But, like, I'd say, yeah, his animated movies just have a better soundtrack to them. I like it. Yeah. For sure. But, okay, back to the French Dispatch. What would we rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? I, I didn't feel the same the same emotional core as Isle of Dogs, but I think if I'm looking at it objectively, I think I'd probably weigh... You know, I, I, I'd probably give it like a 7 or 7.5. 7.5? I give it an 8. How many Indian movies have you seen? How many what? How many, of in, how many Indian movies have you seen? Zero, I think. Like... Indian movies from India, like Bollywood movies? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. I have not seen any of them. You're in luck. Oh, okay. Yeah, so probably next week's movie is going to be an Indian movie called Jawan. Jawan. You know, when you said uh, how many Indian movies have you seen, I thought you were going to recommend RR&R. Have you seen that one? Oh, yeah. I have not seen it yet, but I heard it's great. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to see it in theaters. Nice. But it's like three hours long, though, isn't it? Amateur. I don't. Okay, listen. I'll sit through a three-hour-long movie, but, like, I fidget a lot. So it's just kind of, like, hard for me. And I'm Amateur. Nah. Okay. Give, give me your cinephile card. Nah, I'm keeping it. Keeping it, keeping it. All okay, right. but but one and but this one's no longer in theaters, but it's another Indian movie I really liked called OMG Two. Okay. Uh, uh, the plot is 
It's about a guy whose son uh, gets expelled from school uh, for a reason that's uh, that might that might be a little unsafe for work a bit. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So afterwards, it so basically the a bunch of kids take uh, a video of it, and it goes viral. So the so the school kicks them out. So when they're about to leave town, uh, a messenger of Vishnu okay. <laughs> comes to tell him that he needs to sue the school because because they're not teaching proper sex education. Uh, it might I might be doing it not proper justice, but I'm gonna be honest. It's probably one of my top three favorite movies of the year. Really? Yes. Like it like it's two hours and thirty minutes, but it had like super good pacing. Like, I think I only checked, like, my phone to see the time, like, once. It's kind of like, have you seen Oppenheimer? I'm assuming you've seen Oh, Oppenheimer. yeah. Like, I thought the first hour of Oppenheimer was pretty slow, but then, like, when they start making the bomb, it, the pacing, like, went way <laughs> uh, Oh, yeah, that, that that was great. Yeah. We, we should have started this podcast back during the summer. Dang, really should have. Yeah. Could have talked about Barbenheimer. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, surprisingly, I, I didn't get to see Barbenheimer. I didn't get to see Barbie. You never saw. You haven't seen Barbie yet. No. You're missing out, man. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I really need. Good. I really need to give away my cinephile card. Yeah, about say. You haven't seen Barbie yet. It's the blockbuster of the year. Both yeah. of them are so great. So uh, the next movies we're gonna do uh, are two uh, Indian movies called Jawan and Dongle. Well, that closes out our episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends, and tune into our next episode. And we'll see you at the movies next time. Bye, guys. Yeah, I can brighten the lights now.